Hey friends, this is a content warning to alert you that Elle and our guest will be talking heavily about themes of abuse. All episodes of They Talk Sex may trigger you, but our guest has requested an extra trigger warning, and your host has intentionally softened the presentation of the material. Welcome back to They Talk Sex podcast. I'm your host, Elle Stanger. I am an ASEX certified sex educator and sex worker, adult entertainer of a decade and a half. And today I'm going to talk to my dear friend and uh, co-collaborator, Amy Marie Merrill. We're going to talk about sex trafficking, sex work, and the advocacy work that she does and why. Amy Marie is the executive director of thecupcakegirls.org. You can find their website. You can find them on Instagram at cupcakegirls.org. Her personal Instagram is Amy Marie Merrill. Hi, Amy. Hi. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me, Elle. I'm really excited to talk with you today. Uh, again, Amy Merrill, my pronouns are she, her. Um, and yeah, I've worked in various spaces as an advocate, program creator, and I've also worked within domestic violence safe houses, houseless shelters. Um, but most currently, and for the last nine years, I've been with the Cupcake Girls. Um, and today I am the executive director of the Cupcake Girls. Um, and during my work with the Cupcake Girls, I've led the connections of over 200 businesses partnering to provide services to our clients at a discounted or pro bono rate, which includes, but not limited to, medical, dental, free counseling, support groups, as well as working within different counties to push for decriminalization of sex work. So meeting with local DAs, meeting with Metro. Um, But my life's goal currently, due to my experience, which I'm going to share with you, Mm -hmm. has been to um, educate the public on listening to fellow humans, providing opportunities for empowerment and curating spaces of accessibility. Mm -hmm. Um, Because you had a couple really specific um, interactions in your personal life that I think a lot of civilians obviously never have this kind of exposure to. And so this really got the wheels turning in your brain about how criminalization impacts people. Um, So you are you originally from uh, Eugene? I've kind of moved around a lot. My dad's actually a retired major in the army. And so we moved around a lot when I was growing up and uh, my parents wanted to keep me at home. So I was homeschooled as a way to keep me out of secular society. And Mm. uh, little did they know, (laughs) my first friend that I made outside of our house was a sex worker. Mm. Um, She was working at a local bookstore with me and um, I was around 16 and really started hearing about her story. Uh, And as we built trust and started sharing about our lives with one another, she shared with me that she was actually being assaulted. Uh, She was being assaulted by two police police officers in Eugene, Oregon, where I was living and where we met. Um, And Mm -hmm. so I was talking with her a little bit more about this. And in kind of my naive state, uh, you know, growing up homeschooled, not really having a lot of access to the outside world. I was like, well, we have to go to the police department. We, we have to let them know. You like, tell what's on going them. On. <laughs> yeah. We, I mean, obviously like something's going to happen if we go to the police. And so, um, I took my friend and we went to the police department 
and filed a report and nothing happened. And I was like, huh, well, maybe they lost it, right? <laughs> like they're busy. I don't know. And she's like, Amy, I don't think. And I'm like, no, 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 We got to go. It's going to be great. So we go back to the police department, file another report and nothing happened. Um, and unfortunately, officers Roger Majana and Juan Francisco Lara, they kept assaulting my friend. Um, and, and they continued to assault multiple people, um, through my friend's experience with me and then going out into the community and really having her own self-determination, her own empowerment. She started speaking to more people about what was going on. And we were able to connect with, um, so many people that were being assaulted by these officers. Uh, I think the ending number ended up being 43 oh my people God. that were assaulted by them in Eugene, Oregon area. And um, because the majority of these people were sex workers, the things that the officers would say to them in order to keep them quiet were, you know, um, I have lots of friends um, in the police force. And also, uh, if you have children, I'm going to contact Child Protective Services. We'll get your kids taken away. Wow. I have so much power in the community. Uh, if you report me, this will happen. But but the way that they were meeting these people and assaulting them was they would pull somebody over for a traffic ticket and they'd say, yeah. um, well, if you do this, then I'll let you off. Um, right. Or they would be called to somebody's house uh, and they'd say, well, if you do this, then I'll let you off. And it just became this pattern, right? Wow. So thankfully, those officers were arrested. And I, um, I have a lot of feelings about the prison industrial complex, um, but they both received time in prison. I don't think that <laughs> that was helpful, right? But mm. that that was kind of my first experience mm -hmm. meeting and, somebody in sex work. And, yeah. and there were many other things after that. Uh, I, I left Eugene and was a flight attendant. And I saw a lot of people who were being sex trafficked on these planes. I was working in houseless shelters and saw people experiencing what was being labeled as domestic violence was actually sex trafficking. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I actually moved to Portland, Oregon in 2009 uh, to take a job at Widening Kennedy, an advertising agency in Portland, I went on a run with my dog and I saw this woman being assaulted on the street. And I ran to anyone who's familiar with Portland, Oregon. Um, it happened on 11th, between 11th and 12th in Jefferson, mm -hmm. across from the Portland Art Museum. And I ran backwards to the Safeway that's there, this grocery store. And um, I didn't have my cell phone on me. It's 2009. People didn't usually carry them around back then. Seems weird, <laughs> I know. But the security guard that was working there, I was like, hey, you need to call 911. This woman's being assaulted. And he looked over my shoulder to, to see what was happening. And he's like, she's a sex worker. Isn't that no way? Anyway. Is that what he said? Or what was he his said, actual she's language? a prostitute. Right. She's he just a prostitute. She's a prostitute. Yeah. Yeah. I hate saying it. <laughs> and I think that that like, I, I screamed some expletives at him and ended up going upstairs to my apartment and grabbing my own cell phone and calling 911. And when I came back down, she was gone. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't know, like every single time I think about that or like tell that story, it actually like gets me so upset because oh, I can hear she it. like she really mattered. Yeah. And I don't know where she is and I don't know what happened to her, but. 
I literally like all I can picture is this man holding her and punching her in the side and she couldn't leave. Yeah. And and the security guard is like, well, she's a prostitute. Who cares? Right. So I waited for the police to get there because I had called 911. And by the time they got there, the, the woman, like I said, was gone. And I asked them, I was like, is this true? Would you have arrested her? And their short answer was yes. And my short answer was, I want to speak to your manager because I didn't really know very much about the police department. And so I ended up talking with captains. um, And then really shortly, actually, uh, within two weeks, I was sitting across from the chief of police, uh, Chief Rosie at the time, who told me if I wanted to make any change in this community that I needed to partner with grassroots nonprofits and, and, or work to change legislation. Um, because Mm -hmm. that's the only way that I, that I could affect change within the police department, because in her words, we're following the laws that have been voted in. Mm. And my response to that was bullshit, honestly, (laughs) bullshit. And Mm -hmm. So I have dedicated my life to working with grassroots nonprofits. I have mm-hmm. been working with changing legislation. Um, I mean, obviously, like between Cupcake Girls and the work you and I have been doing, Elle, but like, mm-hmm. it's so frustrating to me because it it's these people in power, they're supposed to be serving our communities. Mm-hmm. And that means all of us. Mm-hmm. It means all of us. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't mean the people that they get along with or that look like them. Mm-hmm. You're so right. And so that was a big couple of stories for a lot of people. So let's just encourage everyone to take a nice deep breath. <laughs> <sighs> you too, I should Amy. have probably done a trigger warning before I went into that. I'm just so I, used to it, I guess. I'll set a trigger warning for the beginning of the episode. I'll say one. Um, okay. So with those examples given, can you tell and now thank you for doing the work that you do and some folks now have a better understanding of why can you give examples of some of the common needs from your clients and like the stories you shared prior the the cops and Eugene like that's public knowledge you can speak about that because they were prosecuted it was in the news and your friend was okay with it and something a lot of um people might have been screaming into their minds earlier is that you know, it wasn't it wasn't bad of you to say, let's go report this. You wanted to help. And eventually you did. But reporting can endanger people so much more. That's right. And your friend kind of probably inherently knew that. But good for her. And That's right. It's amazing how things came out. And thank you for helping. Um, so what can you share about the populations you serve most? And can you give examples of common needs from your clients? Yeah. So. The Cupcake Girls work in the prevention and aftercare of sex trafficking. So we work with people that are wanting to continue in sex work, and um, they really think that it is the best thing in their lives. Um, or, you know, sex work is work, so it's a job, right? Mm-hmm. And and so some people that we're working with, they're saying, like, I mean, it's paying my bills. And some people are like, I don't really like this job, but it's the job that I have. It's just like any job, just mm-hmm. like literally anyone you would talk to and work. And then we also work with people that are trying to leave the sex industry or leave sex trafficking situations. Um, I would say the populations that we end up serving most, first of all, are over 18. We don't work with people who are under the age of 18. Mm. Um, and then also, what, what ends up happening a lot within 
um, our organization is we see a lot of record expungements, a lot of them. Um, a lot of our clients are trafficked over multiple states. And when they're finally able to leave their pimp or the sex trafficking situation, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll have these massive lists of either felonies or misdemeanors, and it makes it really hard to get a job. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> yeah. what we do is we work to, yeah, we work to get those records expunged. And then um, on the other side of that is um, child protective services, social workers and sex workers. It is a very complicated, really harmful relationship. The Cupcake Girls are consistently working on getting kids back with their parents a lot of times when um, sex workers are just trying to go to a pediatrician to get their kid seen, mm-hmm. um, pediatricians will call Child Protective Services mm-hmm. um, or un- unsafe dental care, right? So like you're going to see a dentist and they find out that you're a sex worker. This can become a very unsafe situation for our clients. Mm-hmm. So what we end up doing is uh, the first thing that we that we are as the Cupcake Girls is we connect people to resources. So when I was talking earlier about the professional services that we provide, what we're doing is we're actually going into doctors, dentists, lawyers, daycares, pediatricians. Um, I mean, the list goes on, auto mechanics. And mm-hmm. if our clients have a need, we're going to these people and we're saying, hey, will you work with our clients at a discounted or pro bono rate? And we ask them the questions of what do you think about sex work? Mm-hmm. What are, you know, what are your opinions on sex work? What are your opinions on the LGBTQ community? Um, and really trying to understand, will this person be safe for our clients? Um, and, and we've been able to connect with so many beautiful, beautiful people and curate amazing resources for our clients that mm-hmm. way. It's been amazing. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's important that people know that these services, they shouldn't be necessary. Mm-hmm. They really shouldn't. And the work that the Cupcake Girls is doing is it's both and we're, we're educating the public that sex work is work and that people are humans mm-hmm. and that they're valuable humans and that they deserve health care. They deserve these services that they need um, and that sex workers are seeing a ridiculous intersectionality of oppression. Mm-hmm. So I think it's both and we're providing all the education, but we're also providing the services to our clients. And you are one of the very, very few organizations or the Cupcake Girls is one of the very few organizations that doesn't tell people that they have to stop doing the work in order to receive services. Absolutely not. We understand that sex work is work. Um, we believe it. We see it. Some of our clients, they, they're saying sex work saved their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a lot of our clients, right, because they are seeing the sex trafficking side, they're saying, look, it didn't save mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so being able to sit with both sides of that conversation is really important to us. Mm-hmm. And understanding that sex workers are the greatest allies that we could have in combating sex trafficking, mm-hmm. which is something that I think a lot of people don't understand. Yeah, absolutely. And that brings me to my next question. How do you think or how do you know, how have you experienced that the current laws or attitudes against prostitution impact sex trafficking? I do like using the word sometimes because it's a legal term and I also get to use it as someone who's sucked dick for money. So, (laughs) but how do you, how do you you feel? I love it sometimes. I love getting paid. Uh, Use a condom, everyone. How do you think the current laws against prostitution impact sex trafficking? 
Totally. So through conversations with sex workers and sex trafficking survivors, the Cupcake Girls understands that we have to be speaking out about this. Specifically, criminalization of sex work and sex trafficking survivors actively harms our clients and their families. Mm-hmm. Actively harms them. Um, we really do believe that it's it's important that we talk about certain issues that they're deemed as political. They're in fact human rights issues. Um, and we understand that sex trafficking is a human rights violation and that sex workers, like I was saying earlier, can be allies in fighting trafficking and well be, may um, be well suited to refer victims to support. So if we're partnering with um, people in sex work instead of arresting them, that they can actually help us help the people that are being harmed. But despite this laws criminalizing sex work are promoted as a successful way to combat trafficking. Um, and, and the thing is that through our continued research and experience, we've actually found quite the opposite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we've given so many examples here already. So I asked some of my online audience, this was on Instagram. I said, what are some ways that criminalization of sex work has hurt you? Mm-hmm. Oh, one person says, I needed to pay for things in my senior high school year. I got expelled when the principal found out. Gosh, darn it. Someone says, I spend way more time dealing with hate and misinformation than actually offering pleasure. Yeah. Someone says, makes it impossible for me to properly screen for full service, and I can't easily collaborate with other providers. Mm. Because, like, how do we, you know, like, I don't just go on to, like, it's not like there's, like, a prostitute Facebook, you know, where we can, like, exist. I mean, there used to be stuff like that. There was, like, pages that some of which have been shut down. (laughs) It's harder for us to find each other. Um, This person says, I can have sex on my own, but I want to hire workers so that there's no LT attachment. What does that mean? Long-term attachment? I think so. I think so, too. And mm-hmm. also hearts out to that person. Yeah. Someone says, I had to get a full-time civilian job and I can only do online work on the side because it barely makes money now. Mm. So, and you know, if people are like, oh, the job market's really competitive. Okay, we'll stop making it more competitive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, someone says, criminalization has destabilized my income. I have no resources. I'm harassed by strangers. Oof. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone else says, I feel completely unable to be honest with new people about my profession until they pass the test. Someone else says, making sex and displays of sex criminally deviant only reinforces the white patriarchy. Right. Mm-hmm. Someone says, it has caused me to feel intense shame for consuming it. Mm-hmm. That is really important. Mm-hmm. That is so important to talk about. Mm-hmm. I want to circle back to that later because when you mentioned earlier that you were um, you're a Christian, I bet some of my listeners are like, "Wait, Elle has Christian friends," <laughs> because I'm always um, very critical of how religions impact society. So I love speaking with people Dude, that are hell like, "Hell yeah! Of yeah. course you should be. Thank you, you should be. Thank you." And honestly, I have to be critical. I have to be critical of my personal spirituality. If I'm not, then do I, am I really truly invested in it? And mm-hmm. and I think that should be the way that we look at everything that we love. We have to look at things and criti- critically question them. Mm-hmm. I like that. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's see, two more. Someone says, 
criminalization has literally removed access to websites, payment platforms, and messaging apps on which I used. Yeah. Oh, I wasn't able to rely on full service when I needed to due to the legal risk, and I stayed in a re- abusive relationship instead. Oof. Yeah. Um, I've definitely talked to a handful of swerkers who, you know, whether they're still working or not, but they say like, you know, I was pushed into the work or I was forced to hand over my money or the booking decisions were like my husband or my boyfriend made them. And then once I left that relationship or those series of relationships, I realized I could do this work and now I didn't have anyone else to answer to. Um, and I think that's beautiful. I think that's the piece, too, that a lot of people don't understand. And I see it more often than I'd like to. And I'm sure that you have as well, where because of the laws, especially with FOSTA-SESTA, I think that we have to be calling out how harmful FOSTA and SESTA has been to this mm-hmm. industry. Um, a lot of people, they're not able to do background checks on their clients. Mm-hmm. And so they're essentially putting themselves in in harm's way, right? And then when you're thinking about how many of the people that are coming to the Cupcake Girls currently, because they're in these trafficking situations, a lot of the times they were put into these situations because they were trying to find safe spaces of community to do sex work in. Mm, that's true. And then unfortunately, they're connected with the wrong people who take advantage of them. You're not able to vet all of the people on Instagram that are reaching out to you. You're not able to vet the people that are reaching out to you on various platforms. Mm -hmm. And so you, you essentially are harmed. I have so many stories of single parents that are just trying to make it through, right? I mean, lots of people are out of work right now, which means lots of people are not receiving child support in order to support their children. And what ends up happening is these single parents, they're trying to do sex work while their kids are in school so Mm. that when their kids are out of school, you can be with them because for anybody not paying for daycare, it's upwards to $2,000 a month for a full-time daycare. And so these parents, they're trying so hard to provide for their kids. And then they're like, oh, well, there's this other group of single parents that are also doing sex work. I'm going to connect with them and be working with them. Next thing you know, you're in a trafficking situation. Mm-hmm. It happens so quickly. Or we have this counselor um, who's asked me actually to share her story as much as I can. And that's the only reason I'm doing that. It's, mm-hmm. it's, I'm really careful about um, not sharing stories actually. Mm-hmm. But we have a counselor that was trying to make money on the side. And next thing she knew, she was in a trafficking situation because she wasn't able to vet the people that she was servicing. Wow. I think it's it's important to talk about how the criminalization has affected this industry, but specifically FOSTA, SESTA, mm-hmm. specifically, it has, it's gotten so bad in the last few years. Mm-hmm. I want to do an entire episode on FOSTA, SESTA, because I've talked about it over the years multiple times, but it deserves its own episode. And 100%. I'm trying to give example because some people, some people might have a hard time visualizing what you're explaining, but like if I, yeah, if I go to the club or if I'm working even in a va- vanilla job and someone's like, oh, hey, are you interested in this hustle? And oh, wow, they're the only person I know that's asked me that. Like, yes, I want to buddy up with this person. Mm-hmm. Okay. And now I'm sharing, you know, like some people are very manipulative and they're scammers. So if somebody bonds with you in a way to gain access to your personal information, your phone number, where you live, so that they have these things over you, 
then it can be really, really hard to separate and cut ties with this person who's like, well, you owe me money or you have to do this job or show up at this time. Some people can maybe see more how people get pulled into these unhealthy and dangerous situations. It's not like you're like scooped up in a white van and you're suddenly in a cage somewhere. Yep. And and that is important that you point out. I'm really glad that you did. A lot of our clients, they'll end up experiencing uh, trafficking through their relationships. And so it actually looks a lot like domestic violence, super similar to it, where some of our clients, they'll um, partner with somebody, they're with them for a really long time, their partner is paying for their car, their rent, um, multiple bills, and and you start to become financially reliant on this partner. They're just Mm -hmm. showering you with love and attention all the time. And then all of a sudden they're pissed at you. You did something wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and this, the switch starts flipping and, and next thing you know, they're either in a, um, physically abusive relationship and a sex trafficking situation where they're saying, well, you owe me this, you owe me money. Like now I'm out this money. So you have to make it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, or, uh, we've had a lot of clients and I have nothing against swinging at all. A lot of people Same. really enjoy swinging. Um, but a lot of clients that have been falsely explained that they were going to a swingers party when they were actually going to the situation where they were going to be trafficked. That's something that happens a lot. Oh, so being wow. able to, yeah. So being able to really vet the the situations that you're in and, and really fully trust the people that you're with, it can be harder sometimes when you've already been in this relationship with them, especially when it's for a long period of time. The long games of pimps, they end up being a year um, wow. is, is the average. And so a lot of them are even longer than that. It's it's important to point out that these things they don't just happen. Mm-hmm. It is it happens over time, mm-hmm. and and it's it's a really slow process to gain the trust of our clients. Our clients are so smart and so courageous and tenacious, and I, I think that's important to point out. I agree. So everybody, if you haven't already, go to cupcakegirls.org. You'll find Amy on Instagram, Amy Marie Merrill. And on Instagram, cupcakegirls.org. Did I just say that? I'm so fucking tired. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Find me on lstanger.com. Please remember to rate and review us on your listening app so more folks can find us. Ioba Toys is the creator of the super silent sex toys, the Oh My G and the Oh My C. The Oh My G is a G spot massager with three intensity levels, a massaging pearl, and a unique C-shape made to precisely hit the G-spot. The OMIC oh is a clitoral massager with a rotating massaging pearl that mimics a tongue or fingers, also known as oral sex, and it fits in the palm of your hand. Both toys are super silent and come in pink or white. Try code L30 for 30% off on iobatoys.com. Do you have sex questions? Do you want help learning new techniques, communicating with a partner, opening a relationship, or exploring kink? Sex and intimacy coach Stella Harris can help. Book a session now to take your intimate life to the next level. Listeners of this podcast receive 20% off their first session with code TTS. Learn more and schedule at www.stellaharris.net or follow her on Instagram at Stella Harris Erotica.
Welcome back to They Talk Sex Podcast. I'm Elle Stanger, your host. We're talking to Amy Marie Merrill. Amy, do you prefer Amy or Amy Marie? Because I see... Either one works. Uh, a lot of people call me Amy. A lot of people call me Amy Marie. And I answer to both. I answer to a lot of things. <laughs> hey, lady. <laughs> Yeah, totally. Uh, I got a burrito from a drive-thru yesterday and the young woman working, she always calls me lady and my person next to me in the car started laughing because they hadn't heard that before. She's like, okay, lady, thank you. And uh, the environment at that place seems really good and safe and healthy. Like I'm always checking the vibes of these businesses that I go to. Totally. Yeah, because how often have you been in a work environment where you're like, oh God, it just feels oppressive in here. Like, Mm. you know, um, Anyway, all of this is to say that a lot of trafficking is blamed on sex industries when apparently most trafficking as it is defined is actually in food, like agriculture. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are trafficked within their families. And I Mm. think that's something that's not really talked about often, but it should be. Um, there's a lot of generational trafficking where it's just been commonplace. People kind of expect it. And, um, it's something that they were raised around. It's something that they're used to, but people trafficked by their parents, by their aunties, their uncles. Um, I know in people that were Mm. being trafficked in Lane County, um, 73% of those people were children that were being trafficked by Mm. their parents for drugs. So I think that addiction drives a lot of trafficking. Also, um, within the United States, we have a lot of different religious cults, actually, um, that aren't really talked about. And within (laughs) those religious cults, there is a lot of sex trafficking. And again, we're getting back to generational trafficking, people that um, are being trafficked uh, through their parents, where they're thinking that they're doing something right um, because it's following the religious principles of the cult that they're within. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of stories and people in rural communities that are mm-hmm. being trafficked within churches. Um, we had we had a slew of clients that were coming out of a specific congregation in Oregon a few years back mm-hmm. um, where they were children of this pastor there and they were being trafficked by the pastor into the community. It, it, this is this is a lot of content I realize and it may be triggering to some people but it's important that we talk about it's really important that we talk about the generational trafficking absolutely yeah and I hear this from nurses also in terms of addiction driving trafficking and uh that the opiate what's the word (laughs) it's taking over the country (laughs) epidemic Thank you. (laughs) The opiate epidemic is really a large part um, of, yeah, why this stuff happens. And I'm thinking of a couple of friends of mine that, shit you not, they escaped cults as, you know, young adults. They're grown adults now, but cults in Oregon. So I think, yeah, definitely a proliferation of that all over the place. And that's the thing. A lot of people, when they're exiting these situations, specifically religious cults, it can be so oppressive to even work through those things on your own, but how often are you actually sharing your traumas outside with the world? Um, Mm -hmm. And and so it's important that we are elevating those situations so that we 
consciously or unconsciously give permission to the people who are working through these things to elevate their stories so that we're giving multiple people permission to do the same. So I'm glad that we talked about that for sure. Mm -hmm. Me too. And so with all of this heavy stuff, this brings me to listener questions. The first one, listener question one, how do you support the well-being of your staff? Nonprofits are notorious for experiencing burnout. This is a really good question. And working against burnout, it's an active thing. And we need to be actively combating burnout. It can't just be like, um, you know, what are we doing in order to make sure people are taking breaks? What are the processes that we're putting into our work, into our day-to-day work? What are the rhythms of care that we're providing for our staff because helpers, healers, and leaders are often focused on the results that they're achieving with and for others. And so Mm -hmm. it's important to remind people that self-care needs to exist. And self-care focuses on yourself, taking time to rest, reflect, replenish, renew. And so I, as a leader in this nonprofit, need to curate space so that we can not have burnout. It needs Mm -hmm. to be a part of our day-to-day. It needs to be a part of our work. So that's where it starts is in the work itself and making sure that we're not giving people too many clients. So um, we are really strict. We have a a green light, yellow light, red light policy of how many clients we take in, how many clients are allowed to be seen um, per staff member, per volunteer. And once we Mm -hmm. hit that number, even if the wait list is extremely large, we shut it down. We won't accept clients. And Mm -hmm. it's really hard to do, especially as helpers and healers, right? Because you're just like, Mm -hmm. but the list is so long. But the thing that we talk a lot about as a staff is you can't pour from an empty cup and you'll actually create more harm to the people that you're intending to serve Mm -hmm. if you are. And Mm -hmm. so we, we talk through that. Something else that I do is I send people home all the time which sounds really counterintuitive (laughs) to working in a nonprofit. But if people come to work and they seem tired, then I ask them to take time off. I ask them to go home um, and rest and connect with themselves. And so uh, you can actually ask my staff anytime you'd want. They they would respond and they'd tell you, but I I send (laughs) people home all the time. There is not a week that goes by where someone hasn't been told, please leave early today. Please wow. go home right now. And that's it's imp- very unique to the American capitalist models. Yes. That, and I, that's very unique. That's the thing. And the Cupcake Girls really strives on making sure that we're counting success, being our client success, not being the numbers that we're putting out. And that's the other piece, right? So if we're driven by numbers, then we're always pushing so hard, regardless of the capacity that we have. And so if we're actually taking stock of our capacity, it's important that we also take stock of our client's capacity. And we can't Mm -hmm. just be pushing out these numbers. Again, are you causing harm or are you actually helping? Mm -hmm. Um, But also we do a lot of work on secondary trauma and rhythms of care. So uh, Emma Sullivan is a fantastic resource. Um, She actually works with um, or worked with 
people coming out of ISIS concentration camps for two years and oh, wow. um, has her master's in secondary trauma. And so she comes in um, to us and helps us learn how to engage emotional boundaries with our helping relationships, let, helps us learn how to heal our physical body, our emotional body, our psychological body, um, and, and helps us curate rhythms of care within our lives. Because if you're always like, oh crap, I don't want to burn out. Oh crap, I don't want to burn out. But you're not like, all right, what are the ways that I'm going to care for myself today? Because mm -hmm. burn, burnout, there's always going to be symptoms of burnout. There's always going to be trauma that hits your life. As humans, we're always going to be experiencing trauma. But if we're always focusing on that and we're not focusing on ways to care for ourselves, how are we actually living? You get this one beautiful life. How are you actually going to live that life? And so mm -hmm. she works a lot with pausing and reflecting and um, asking yourself, what are you currently doing for you? And hmm. so I really suggest um, connecting with her if you as a nonprofit are experiencing a lot of burnout in your staff. Also, uh, surrounding yourself with really important books and actually reading them. Uh, so <laughs> The Body Keeps Score is a phenomenal book that's helped a lot mm. in, in trauma stewardship. That. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's amazing. There's another book again by Emma Sullivan, um, Cultivating a Rhythm of Care. Uh, and then mm. Trauma Stewardship is a phenomenal book as well. But, oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. I wrote that down. Thank you. But yeah, I guess like how do you support the well-being of your staff? You focus on it. And you work on it every day. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So uh, this next one, we're going to take a shot at because uh, neither one of us are trauma therapists, right. but we can give our opinions. Uh, listener question two, something I've struggled with as a survivor. They don't say of what, but mm -hmm. is how do I talk to my new lover about my history? Hmm. So whether it's. Domestic violence, you know, domestic sexual violence, sex trafficking. How do I talk to my new lover about my history? I think that's yeah. the question. First of all, I just want to acknowledge the space that this person is coming from. And if you're listening, just holding space for you, that's a lot of vulnerability just to bring into this space. And so I just want to hold that for you and thank you for that. Um, as mm -hmm. a survivor of domestic violence myself, I... I know that talking through the traumas that you've experienced with someone new in your life, it can be extremely overwhelming. I think that something that's really important is honest communication. Um, if we don't mm -hmm. have honest communication with each other, if we don't sit down and assume positive intent with each other and just talk through the feelings that we're having, I think setting the stage has been something that my therapist talks with me a lot about and just letting people know before we enter in conversations, just say like the subjects that we're about to talk about are extremely triggering for me. And it's really hard for me to just get this out of my body. And so I just need you to acknowledge that before we even move forward in this conversation. It's really, really hmm. helpful. Um, and sometimes writing things down before you go into a conversation and, and just reading off a letter can be very helpful. Mm -hmm. um, 
last but certainly not least, and something that's been very helpful for me and partners that I've had is couples counseling, which sounds so mm-hmm. dramatic, right? Sounds Does it? Like, no. like people are like, couples counseling, isn't that what you do Like when you're thinking about breaking up? But actually, couples counseling is what you do when you're thinking about coming together. It's, it's something that you do when you're thinking about really bonding with someone in a way that you've never bonded with them before. And so you're trying mm-hmm. to work through all of the things and intersect with them as much as you can. And so I, I always, always, always um, advocate for couples counseling mm-hmm. for sure. My heart just warmed up. Um, I've had I've taken questions like this before on the show from people with different backgrounds. And mm. you you gave great advice. And what also has come up is you do this slowly and you start with small things. And if the person you're talking to has bad reaction or is unsupportive of hearing the small things, unfortunately, like they probably can't hear the big things. So, Mm -hmm. you know, some people aren't going to be able to hear you or some people might feel triggered in their own stuff. But my experience opening up to people personally is I have trauma and so do they and some of ours might be more extreme but if we care about each other we're able to have empathy Mm. and like you said hold that space and set those containers so let's move on to I think this relates to listener question number three and I'll tell you why later how can we approach legislators who think they're doing good by restricting sex work oh man (laughs) approach them approach them nicely and as if you're not furious with them because they're not going to do you a favor if you're bitching them out I'll tell you (laughs) I really appreciate you wanting to support survivors and trafficking you know survivors and to put the bad guys away however research has shown that the current approaches are not effective. Here's some links. And also here's my personal story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's I've been doing a lot of that lately. What about yeah. you? Um, this one is a hard one for me. And I think that something that I'm working through is saying no to my ego and yes to my logic and my intelligence and to my empathy when I'm in these conversations. Mm. Um, it can be. I could say I could difficult. say no to my ego a little more. Yeah. I <laughs> go <it> on. Can, <laughs> yeah, it can be difficult. I was recently um, in a listening session on SB one six four, which was a bill that was killed in the state of Nevada, which would have stopped the arrest of sex trafficking survivors. Ugh. So people who are being sex trafficked in the state of Nevada currently are booked they're arrested they're given a court date um and one of (sighs) the comments in the listening session was um people don't want to see prostitutes walking around or sorry i'm gonna no say one of the so one of the yeah but i'm messing it up one of the comments that was said was um people don't want to see prostitutes walking around the street. You know, taxpayers don't want to see prostitutes just walking around in our town. And I got really quiet and I tried really hard to just contain myself. And I think that what you said earlier, Elle, is so important. We have to have emotional containment in these situations because 
if we're not careful, people can become more defensive and then walls go up and then all of a sudden you don't have an opportunity to educate, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I was able to- I don't even know what I would say to that. I'm just irritated. I'm thinking of all the reasons yeah. they're wrong. So, and I have snarky comments, but yes, go on. Well, well, what I did say was, sir, do you realize that sex workers are also taxpayers? Oh, yes. And he oh. said, excuse me? And I was like, well, you said that taxpayers don't want to see prostitutes walking around, right? I'm assuming you're talking about sex workers. Do you realize that they also pay taxes in our sit in our city, in our state? And oh. he didn't respond. Because <laughs> he didn't think about it. Because we all live in a cage somewhere in his mind. Yeah. And I think that like <sighs> having conversations like that, humanizing the people that we're talking about and honestly something that is hard within this demographic but we're working really really hard on (laughs) getting this demographic musty crusty and dusty swerfs and middle-aged men dude so data (laughs) um capitalism driven society moralistic like uh conservative Mm. society they need data they really they want need numbers. data. So yeah. um, something that we're working on with University of Nevada, um, shout out to Dr. Brents, Barbara Brents is amazing, is really yes. compiling data so that we can show, hey, this is how FOSTA-SESTA has affected us. Or this is what happens when you criminalize um, sex work. and, and Or this sex is, trafficking survivors. Yep, yep. And this is how actually the state would make more money, the city would make more money if you stopped criminalizing these people or if you stopped um, working against them in this way. Um, And also being able to show the stats because people are obsessed with children for some reason, but then once they reach adulthood, they stop being obsessed with them. But if you really Mm -hmm. hit data of like, this is how the foster care system is impacting our state. And as we know, data has been more than clear for over a decade now that keeping children with their parents, except for extremely, extremely mm-hmm. extenuating circumstances. It should always be happening. And and so this is what happens when you take a kid away. We're seeing people, more people in prison. We're seeing uh, more people with lower grades. We're, we're not seeing well-paying people entering well-paying jobs in, in our state. And then in turn, people paying their taxes, right? So they just, they want to see how is it going to make money Mm-hmm. Um, what are, what are the data points? How is it going to affect children? And, and mm-hmm. so really working to take my emotion, contain it as much as I can, and then remind people about the, the money piece, the children piece, and the, the data piece is usually helpful. And also remembering that they're actually a human too. So mm-hmm. people only can work from the education that they've been provided. And unfortunately, a lot of people, they're kind of in this knowledge bubble of what they have experienced personally and approaching someone and and doing it in the way that you and I are talking about, it's a gift. It's a mm-hmm. gift that we're giving to them. We're giving them the gift of an opportunity at education, an opportunity of change. And what I would also say is, don't do too much and don't exhaust yourself, please. Because mm-hmm. yeah. we need you in this work. If you're willing to even ask the question about how we can approach legislators who think they're doing 
good by restricting sex work. If you're willing to even ask that question, please take care of yourself. Please take care of yourself. We need you for the long haul. Please don't get burnt out. I've I've met with so many people, like I said, been in this work for 16 years. So many people that have burnt out. They've pushed really, really hard for a minute. And then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. they're out. And, and I mm-hmm. think that it's important that you do a little bit, take a break. Do a little bit, take a break. We need you for the long haul in this work. Certainly. And all of that is great advice. Um yeah, you said it all. So let's move on to the last one, which is also really important. Um, and I have a comment. Well, I'll just read the question. How do you address criticisms of your organization or staff? Hmm. Very carefully. (laughs) Um, I, so here's what comes up for me. So I definitely have worked with you and worked with people um, at the Cupcake Girls for years, and I've watched the organization expand and grow. And um, the only complaint I've ever heard from people is that Cupcake Girls couldn't do anything for me. And that reminds me of earlier when you said that you have a long waiting list that you acknowledge and you folks try not to stress over. Um, But I think that's something that is definitely worth remembering always is because just because these organizations exist, they cannot do everything. Yeah, they cannot. The staff cannot. The budget at this point probably cannot. I know you folks sometimes don't receive donations because people don't like that your sex worker supportive. Yeah. So I just encourage people to not think in black and white and to do, you know, always like feedback sourcing, like how was this organization for you? Um, but I see how much work you, you do. And that's the same thing with me. Like I have a hundred DMS in one of my inboxes right now that I might not get to. And some people have really important pressing questions or need help or information, but I do not have the time or the space or the money to help all of them. So mm. yeah, I encourage people to not think in, in black and white, you know, just cause you can't do everything doesn't mean that the work you're doing isn't valuable. I love that. You know, it's interesting. So So I've been in this work with the Cupcake Girls specifically for nine years, and I've seen a lot of evolution within the work. And um, I've joined as executive director um, since February. uh, And then 2021. (laughs) 2021. And then uh, taken over the Cupcake Girls and Local for All um, in June of 2021. So, wow. I think that it's important, I guess, to say that we receive criticism from both sides of the coin. And I'm going to explain what I mean by that. So you hit on it a little bit, but but some people have a really hard time with the Cupcake Girls because the anti-trafficking world in the nonprofit industrial complex is really, really taken over by very conservative um, Christians who are trying to build awareness against sex trafficking and saying like sex work is evil and um, we need to get people out of sex trafficking. And so let's talk about sex trafficking. And so they'll Mm -hmm. do walks and all sorts of things. And and they'll really, really work to raise awareness against sex trafficking. That that is the majority of the anti-trafficking world. Um, Mm -hmm. I was in that world. I worked within that world and I decided like, this is so gross (laughs) and I can't, and I can't be a part of it because 
awareness without action is nothing. It's, it's honestly mm. just pocket padding. And, and I have, mm-hmm. a, I have a problem with it, to be honest. So, so mm-hmm. we see that side of the coin. That being said, a lot of donors, they're used to interacting within that world, right? And so when they see an anti-trafficking org, they're wanting to interact with it. And with the Cupcake Girls, they're hearing about a lot of things because we are client-centered and we listen to our clients and we work to support our clients in their pursuits and their timing. It's a lot of education for our donors because Mm. what they're used to supporting isn't what we're doing. We're hmm. doing a lot of action. We're doing a lot of listening. We're asking our clients what they need. That opens up these conversations of decriminalization. That opens up these these conversations of working with legislation, working with police departments, um, conversations like you and I had, um, Al, with Mike Schmidt, the DA in Multnomah County, where we asked him to stop prosecuting prostitution. I mean, Mm-hmm. These conversations are not conversations that our donors are used to us having. So we have those donors, right? Mm-hmm. Then on the other side, we have sex workers. And the sex workers are saying like, hey, I am needing this and I need you to provide this, whether it would be, um, you know, record expungements, um, services that they might need, getting their ch- getting their kids back, whatever it might need. And and we work really, really hard to provide those, but also provide the listening sessions because as an org, that's not, um, you know, I'm not a sex worker. Mm-hmm. And so as an org that's not run by a sex worker, it's important that I am consistently mm-hmm. asking our clients, like, what do you need? What do you want? Mm-hmm. What language are we using that's helpful? What language are we using that's hurtful? And then, and then fix those things. But it needs to be active on our end. Um, and I think think that holding space for those two for for those two communities and teaching them sounds exhausting yeah but teaching you're doing a great job (laughs) teaching the anti-trafficking community to really understand hey working with sex workers is the best way to combat trafficking absolutely the best way and then also as a nonprofit, we're run by the donations of, well, the donations of our donors, I was going to say, but we're run by donations. And so, yeah, when we're talking about decriminalization, we do end up losing donations. Mm-hmm. We do. Um, and and we're not receiving government grants because most government grants, they ask you to report your pimp and that's not something we're comfortable asking our clients to do. Wow. Or they're asking for um, like one of our grants, they were asking for literally social security numbers, addresses, um, uh, real, real names of our clients in order for them to give them grants. And so we're like, absolutely not. We don't want to work with you guys. Um, So we're having to say no to money, but then also having to raise money because the need is so great. I mean, we're giving Mm out $6,000 a month in grants right now. Um, wow. and we actually have a micro grant coming up where we're going to be giving $10,000 away to, um, the BIPOC community. And so there's a, there's wow. a lot, there's a lot that we're having to hold space for. And I think it's, Im- it's important that when we're actually addressing the criticisms, we do it one-on-one, we're not doing a blanket statement, but I'm, I'm sitting down and I'm meeting with both sides all the time. Mm-hmm. My mm-hmm. calendar is honestly, it's mostly these meetings. It's mostly people saying, I'm frustrated because 
you're talking about decriminalization and I've been donating to you for quite some time and I'm frustrated that you're supporting this Mm -hmm. and I'm pulling my donation and I want to tell you why. And then I listen to them and then I educate them on why we're doing it and double down on this. We're not changing. This is what's, this is what's necessary knowing that I'm going to be losing money that can support the client that I'm about to meet with the next day. Who's Who's like, why can't you fund this thing for me? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a a really interesting, it's an interesting situation, but. I think you answered it perfectly. Okay. How can people (laughs) donate? How can people donate? Um, Go to our website, thecupcakegirls.org and then uh, backslash donate. Really the the main thing that we need is monthly donors. Um, Mm. We are run off of five to fifty dollar a month monthly donors, people who are just giving what they can. Um, and so becoming a monthly donor is huge. Also, we have our largest fundraiser of the year, Change Takes Action, coming up, where we ask people to fundraise with us. We have a very generous donor who's donated over one hundred thousand dollars in matching donations um, wow. that will only receive if people hit that goal. So. We're working to fundraise $400,000 for the Cupgate Girls um, that will help cover our operating costs as we work to partner with these doctors, dentists, lawyers, um, pediatricians, auto mechanics, all these people um, for the for the remainder of 2021 and into 2022. So that's going to be coming mm-hmm. up here. So partnering with us as we fundraise and then also partnering with us as monthly donors. Go there, people. If you're like, how can I help? Uh, $5 a month. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. it's literally a cup of coffee a month. Yeah. All right, let's take another break. Find me, lstanger.com. And did you rate and review us yet? <laughs> All right, cool. Hey there. Do you want to help people and make money doing it? Becoming a coach might be your ticket. The coaching industry is currently filled with a lot of straight white coaches and working with straight white people who have the privilege to hire them. The Coaching Guild is changing that. The Coaching Guild is looking for diverse people with diverse experiences and backgrounds who want to get university-level training to become a coach. This is not a shortcut certification program. This is intense training for the real world. They are looking for the artists, the rebels, and the wild ones. You can change the world one client at a time and make money doing it. Visit www thecoachingguild.com. Do you have a sensitive vulva or vagina? Me too. People with vaginas will experience at least one yeast infection in their lifetime, and many folks like myself get them every time the seasons change. As someone who relies on their vaginal health for their personal and professional wellness, I use Momotaro Apotheca solutions for preventing bacterial vaginosis or yeast infection. Their products also serve urinary tract infections, postpartum care issues, aftercare, and general irritation from sex, clothing, and exercise. I love these things. I use them to shorten my healing time or prevent irritation. Use Stripper Writer for a discount code and check out their affiliated CBD products at oshihana.com. That's momotaroapotheca.com and oshihana.com. 
Welcome back to They Talk Sex podcast. This is the anti-sex trafficking episode with Amy from the Cupcake Girls, cupcakegirls.org. So something you said earlier during your work as a flight attendant, you mm-hmm. said that you saw that you witnessed instances of people in like being trafficked on the planes. Yeah. Can you can you tell me like what did that look like and how do you how do you figure? So what it ended up looking like when people were being trafficked on the planes was they weren't allowed to talk with me at all. Mm. Um, The person, whoever they were with, whether um, it was their, you know, grandma, auntie, um, boyfriend, girlfriend, they would end up ordering for them, talking for them. Um, But quite a few times the person would actually tell me. Um, really? Yeah. So they would like, they would be watched when they were getting up to go to the bathroom. Um, and, but the first, the first thing that I would really look for is like, oh, they're not able to talk for themselves. Okay. Um, Mm -hmm. and sometimes you wonder like, is it a language barrier or something like that? But you're on a plane with them for quite some time. And so, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times pimps will follow their people to the bathroom, um, and make sure that they don't talk to anybody on our, on their way there. And that's not something mm-hmm. that you usually see on planes because no. usually everyone's sitting down and, and they're not allowed to get up. Right. And so mm-hmm. it was always weird when somebody would get up with somebody else. Um, and oftentimes people would come to me on their way to the bathroom if their pimp was not with them and say, please help me. Oh um, God. This would happen more often than I'd like. Um, and I know that they're doing extra screenings and, and things like that, especially as the years had gone on. I was a flight attendant back in <clears throat> back in 2006. And so a lot mm-hmm. has happened since then to protect mm-hmm. people from sex trafficking. They have signs in bathrooms now. Um, mm-hmm. and, and there are different checkpoints where people will say like that they have to receive uh, the ticket from an individual. There's just a lot of things that have changed now. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's that's hmm. something that would happen quite often. It was really wow. disturbing. Wow. Um, I believe you, and I'm definitely going to look for that. I noticed signs over the last... Mm, I'm 34. I've been on planes since I was 14. I probably wasn't looking for this stuff until I was 22. But I feel like in the last few years, I'm seeing more signs um, where it's like, are you like being controlled? Are you unable to... I saw a bus yesterday when I was driving through Seattle area mm-hmm. and it said something like he lied about the job and now I'm not allowed to leave. Right. Mm-hmm. And it was call this number and then something about like sex trafficking prevention or not sex trafficking. I'm sorry. It was trafficking prevention, just general trafficking. So no matter what you're doing, <laughs> a lot of times the setup is, I was told that I would be working this type of job. And then when right. I arrived and was stuck here, I found out that's not the case. The expectations are different. The housing is different. The pay is less or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Or I thought I was coming here to get married and Oof. I'm not. Oof. And thankfully really? in a lot of the international airports and actually just recently in Portland, they just started putting um, posters in the bathroom over this last year over 2020 because we were seeing such an increase of people leaving their traffickers a lot of their traffickers were sick um and and so they were able to leave Um, wow but portland started putting posters in their bathrooms recently and 
um, in Las Vegas and in Portland since I think it was 2015. They started putting posters up in different languages, including Mandarin, Mm -hmm. which has been really Mm -hmm. important. Um, There's a lot of people that are being trafficked who speak different languages, uh, especially Mm -hmm. in these cities like Portland, where people are coming out of refugee camps. Um, and they don't know the language at all. They are really preyed upon. And so mm-hmm. it's important that we think about that and we talk about that. And then we have accessibility options for those who don't speak English. I don't know if you were in this meeting with me, but it came up recently where looking at prostitution arrests or sex trafficking related arrests or trafficking arrests, somebody in meeting said that in Portland, a large percentage of the trafficking related arrests were on the east side and a lot in the Asian immigrant populations and perhaps some of the Russian Ukrainian ones as well. And it just reminds me so much easier for someone to be exploited if they could not tell you necessarily on a map where they are or they can't communicate with most people around them outside of their community. Yeah, that's right. Something else in Portland to be aware of and nationally is people exiting the foster care system. Um, they'll, they end up being trafficked more often than I think our government would like to admit. So, Oh, really? Yeah. Is that perhaps because when you're in the foster system, like you don't have that network of family? And That's correct. Okay. Yeah, that's correct. So let's look at, um, this was posted on the blog at swapbehindbars.org. They deal heavily with record expungements and serving incarcerated workers or people who've been incarcerated as survivors. Uh, Top Myths of the Anti-Trafficking slash Anti-Sex Work Movement Part 2. Prostitution gives men permission to treat women like objects, Hmm. is the myth. Um, It's interesting. Men and women. It always comes up, but it's always interesting. Right. It is. And so that that speaks to another, uh, another point on this is, Prostitution is an act of gender-based violence perpetuated by cis men upon cis women. Mm-hmm. And the author says the most glaring problem with this viewpoint is firstly that this theory assumes all, quote, sex buyers to be cis males and all, quote, prostitutes to be cis females. This just mm-hmm. simply isn't the case and actually is a real proliferation of the same misogyny that this model claims to be fighting against. Mm-hmm. Right. Because a lot of my clients are women or gender variant folks. I say that all the time. Yeah. The majority of them tend to be males, but certainly not all of them. And not all providers, not all sex workers are women, that's for sure. Honestly, I think, too, that um, we we have a lot of like people that are female that are reaching out to sex workers or wanting to reach out to sex workers, but really don't know how to. And it, within, you know, being a male, there are a lot of spaces of privilege, but specifically this feeling of um, acceptance within sex work community, whereas females might feel unsure on how to go about that. And so I think it's important that we talk about not all people that are buying sex are male. It's Mm -hmm. not true. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's not true at all. Or paying for any type of pleasure. Because again, sex work just means 
something relating to sexuality. It's not like mm-hmm. necessarily all to ejaculation or orgasm or PIV. So, yeah. right. And of course, a lot of people who are trans do sex work. Studies show this. And then also in just talking to people, if you have a hard time getting hired for a conventional vanilla job, mm-hmm. you're going to try to make money where you can. Yep. So, I mean, all right. We just saw that with OnlyFans during 2020, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. People entering into the adult industry in a way that the online adult industry in a way that they hadn't because pandemic forced so many closures and people were struggling to find options where they were either doing work that maybe they'd been curious about and now they had a reason or doing work they didn't want to do, but it was their best or only option and it was really stressful for them. And a lot of people didn't succeed Yeah. Um, because the structure is not set up to be supportive of adult entertainment workers in the first place. Yep. Yeah. So... I'm going to skip one of the questions because we already answered it. I want to ask you, what are some sources uh, besides you mentioned Emma Sullivan earlier and the body keeps the score. What are some sources that have been helpful for your own learning? My relationships, um, really seeking out relationships with people with lived experience. So networking events with other sex workers, reaching out to sex workers on Instagram, paying them for their time and, and really connecting with them and hearing from them. Um, but also there are a lot of books written by sex workers out there. And L, you always list amazing mm-hmm. resources on your Instagram of different books that you can read. I think also following um, different movements in, in sex work. So um, Suede in uh, Las Vegas is, is an amazing Sway. resource. Um, Suede, S-W-A-I-D. Um, and, and they, they work a lot in microgrants, but then they're always posting different information on um, how to stay safe during sex um, and how to stay safe during sex work. And then um, different uh, parenting tools for sex workers as well. And so I think that, you know, you, you'll become more educated if you're really learning from sex workers themselves and sex trafficking survivors themselves. Mm-hmm. So being careful on your learning being careful who you're learning from. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say that, yeah, lived experience of our clients, sex workers, sex trafficking survivors. Mm-hmm. And believe it or not, this is a sexuality podcast. We didn't really talk about sexuality. We didn't talk about pleasure at all. But I ask every guest, because you never know what you're going to learn. Do you have any sex yeah. tips for our audience? Communication. Do not oh. assume anything. You have True. to be communicating constantly constantly communicating i have five younger brothers and they always ask me (laughs) they'll always ask me like what do you think women want i'm like i don't know but i know (laughs) that when you're having sex with somebody that you should talk to them you should talk to them before you should talk to them after you should talk to them during Mm -hmm. um but yeah communication is key Mm -hmm. i love that thank you so much for coming on folks can follow her amy marie merrill on instagram cupcakegirls.org and cupcakegirls.org on Instagram and find me if I'm still online at stripper writer on Instagram. <laughs> Twitter is my name at L Stanger and you can probably find my website as well. So go give yourself some rest, Amy. 
You deserve it. Mm -hmm. All right. See you around town. See you on the internet. Thank you. (laughs) Until next time.